Matthew tells us that Jesus has left Nazareth after John the Baptist was um, imprisoned, and Jesus has moved to Capernaum, which is on the Sea of Galilee. Now, that's a distance of about 80 miles, which is actually what it is from Orlando to Ocala. So that doesn't sound so far to us in our day and age. We hop in the car, you go 80 miles, what is now in 20 minutes? But for Jesus, that was a walk of several days over dark and dusty roads. It was a long trip. It wasn't undertaken in a day or two. So he's moved away from Jerusalem. And he's moved away in some degree from the religious structure of Jerusalem when he comes to Capernaum. Because Capernaum is a city of vast cultural, religious, every kind of social difference. Capernaum is the city through which you would travel to get almost anywhere. And Capernaum is surrounded on three sides by Gentiles. It has Phoenicians. It has the... um, Sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Um, It has the Phoenicians on one side. It has... um, Well, just believe me. Surrounded by... Surrounded by three sides. And it's a city that is open to new ideas because all of these different kinds of people either pass through or are living there and being, um, having their minds tweaked by these different ideas. And so Jesus comes to Capernaum, a city that is not devoutly Jewish, a city that embraces people with new ideas and new thoughts, and we find him walking along um, the Sea of Galilee. Now, he's walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he is proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Very, very similar, right? John the Baptist was using the same words. If you read some of the commentary that's out there, which I do, Frederick Beekner translates this statement of Jesus into these words. Move, because here comes the whole new world of God. It's pretty dramatic. Barclay translates it this way. Eternity has entered time. Wow. So, however... You understand it. Jesus is proclaiming something new is happening. And he's doing it right here. So, he's on the shores of Galilee and he sees some fishermen. They're engaged in their normal work. They're fishing. They're providing for their families. This is their business. This is what they do every day. It's their lifestyle. And... Jesus says to them, come follow me and I will make you fishers of, all right, the old one said men, now it says people, were more correct, but Jesus just issues this invitation to these people who are in the midst of pulling in their nets and going about their normal business. So, put yourself there. You're in the middle of doing your life's work, 
you're with your friends, you're hanging with, you know, the other fishermen there, and, and, or whatever you're doing in your life. You may be doing one of many different kinds of um, uh, work situations. And someone who you've never seen before, someone walks up to you and says, Hey, leave where you are and follow me. Leave what you're doing. Leave your business. Leave your boats, which they probably owned, and their nests. And amazingly, the scripture says, immediately they did that. Now, I've wrestled with that this week. I'm not sure I would have gone. What would you do if you were in the middle of your life? You were busy, you had friends, you had family. And it says immediately, they did not go home to pack clothes. They did not go home for a farewell dinner. They did not do um, any of the things that we might think we absolutely had to do. You know, maybe cash a check so we could go on this journey. didn't do any of that. And it said immediately, they followed him. I think that is just, the more we think about that, it's just, or the more I'm thinking about it anyway, it's, it's staggering. The compelling nature of Jesus that people literally got up and left their livelihood. So, a couple of verses later, James and John do the same thing. They drop their life and begin a new one. And they do it immediately. So, they literally move from their known way of life into the unknown. Where are they going? Jesus doesn't tell them. What are they going to be doing? He hadn't given them any information. He's just said, follow me. Follow me. So they have come, I would suggest to you, to a real turning point in their life. They have turned from one activity to another. They have turned from their livelihoods into a follower. It's really from Jesus to them an invitation to conversion, an invitation to be more than they thought they ever were, more than they could be. The future is just going to be unbelievable for them. They can't even imagine it. But it's a time of conversion for them when they leave one thing and they have no idea what will happen. So I think it's very similar for all of us. We have times of conversion Jesus' invitation in this gospel is, a, is an invitation for conversion. He draws us in. He says, you know, let me change your life. And he says, you know, this call to repentance, this is ongoing. This is not about, oh gosh, I'm sorry I forgot to do that. This is about turning your life around. This is about changing the way you live. This is about making choices in what we say, in how we act, and the life we live. So Jesus calls these first disciples into this whole new way of life. He wants them to drop everything and change. 
he asks them to embark on this journey without telling them where they're going to get dinner or how, what they're going to do. And they follow. So it's the same call I think we hear today. Come, follow me. Disciples don't know where they're going. They've dropped everything. But they're moving forward. They'll have times when they don't understand. I mean, how many times does Jesus tell them something and they say, can you tell me that again? I didn't quite get it. I don't understand what you're calling me to do. They'll have times when they don't understand. They'll have times, imagine their amazement the first time they see Jesus touch a leper or someone who is crippled and the person becomes whole. Imagine that. What would that look like to them? What, what, what are they thinking as they experience all of them? They'll be going places where they're welcomed, and they'll be going places where they're not welcomed. So I suggest that you and I might have that same experience in life. There are probably people who do not want to know about your faith. They don't want you to tell them. So maybe you and I have to change what we do and say sometimes and act it out, live it. Jesus calls us to be disciples. And that means he calls us to be vulnerable, to be open, to be available. Matthew is still in the very early stages of telling us what life is going to be like as a disciple and what discipleship looks like. But we can tell from the very beginning it's challenging. I mean, Jesus says, leave it all. Come follow me. Leave it all. So, as you know, I'm a big one for sharing a story if I happen to find one. And I did find one. I wasn't even looking one. And I was reading Stanley Howard's um, Gospel of, of Matthew for his commentary. And I came across this very interesting story. Clarence Jordan... And his brother Robert are the two main characters in this story. Now, Clarence died in 1969. He, do you know who he was? Yeah, okay. He was an American farmer. He was a New Testament Greek scholar. He was the author of the Cotton Patch Gospels, which put the Gospels into a modern context. So he's um, a white man who in 1942 decides that he is going to do a a biracial farming project, get this, in Georgia. And so they have acres of land and he is teaching people how to farm and make a living. And he calls this experiment that he's doing koinonia which he got from Acts, the gathering of the people for fellowship and sharing. And so this is the life he and his wife are now leading. They're, they're overseeing this project. Of course, they have other people to help him. But as you can imagine, with that kind of project in the 40s, you're going to have some pushback. And so Clarence goes to his brother, Robert, 
who happens to be a lawyer. And he says, Robert, will you represent us? And guess what Robert says? Anybody have any idea? No. No, you don't have any idea, but no is what he says. (laughs) So it's a pretty good guess. Um, So his brother had political ambitions. And so um, when Clarence asked Robert to represent him and the Koinia community, Robert replied, Clarence, I can't do that. You know my political aspirations. Why, if I represented you, I might lose my job, my house, everything I've got. Now, I'm going to tell you here that, that Robert did become a state senator, and he did eventually serve on the Georgia Supreme Court. He had political aspirations. He said, I might lose my job, my house, and everything I've got if I represented you because you're in a very controversial job. And Clarence replied to him, we might lose everything too, Bob. And Robert said, well, it's different for you. It's different for you. Clarence said to Robert, Robert, I remember when you and I went to church on the same Sunday and we came forward to become members of the community. He said, I'm expecting that the pastor there said the same question to you that he said to me. And the question was, do you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And I said, yes. What would you say, Robert? Robert replied, I follow Jesus. I follow Jesus up to a point. Clarence asked, could that point be by any chance the cross? Robert said, that's right. I'll follow him right to the cross. But I'm not going on the cross. I'm not getting myself crucified. Clarence replied, Robert, I don't think you're really a disciple. I think you're an admirer of Jesus. I think you ought to go back to the church where you belong and tell them you're an admirer, not a disciple. And Robert says, well, now, if everyone who felt like I did do that, we wouldn't have a church, would we? And Clarence said, the question is, do you have a church? Clarence asked the hard questions. Being a disciple is being willing to put ourselves out there and sometimes say something when we'd rather be silent and just not make waves. It's a call to act as the followers of Jesus rather than withdraw. Jesus invited the first disciples on a journey, and he invites us as well. He says, Come, follow me, and I will make you maybe not fishers of people, but lovers of people, one who speaks the words of God to people, one who touches everybody, touches others' hearts. I will make you a disciple. It's a challenge. A lot of times I don't act like a good disciple. It's a challenge. 
It makes us think about and change how we live, what our priorities are, what's the most important thing in our lives. And I picture those disciples on the Sea of Galilee folding their nets, pulling in their boats. This was their way of life. And something so compelling about Jesus when he said, Come, follow me. I'm going to change your life. You're not going to believe what you're going to see, but you're also going to have to endure. And I think that's the same call for us. As you know, I've said it before, the church is in a fragile state in the, in the United States. People are dropping off like crazy or not coming back. We have a job to do. And that's to shine the light of Christ on them. Invite them in. Do the radical thing and invite somebody to church. (laughs) Yeah, as I told you a few weeks ago, if everybody brought one person, we'd double our size. But anyway, the call is there. The invitation is there. Come, follow Jesus. Amen.